We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a As we always say on the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast, ignore the process and focus on the result. This is the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Look, I don't know about you people, you you people, you know who you are, the ones who are like, process, process, how are we playing? As we've always said, it's the result that matters. We don't care how you get there. We don't care about the trajectory. We don't care about the process. Our brand is analyzing the result. Literally, our podcast is, if we won, we say yay for an hour, and if we lost, we say boo for an hour, and that is why you are here, for that kind of cutting edge analysis, which is going to be great because we won in Greece, 3-1 no less, which means it's a perfect, flawless, unimpeachable performance, which we can have nothing negative to say about it. And I hope you're as excited for that as I am. Thank you so much for being here. By the way, we do love you. We did a two-hour live stream pre-match that was a hell of a lot of fun. Clive was there. Tim was there. Paul was there uh, briefly at first, and then again, Scott was there. <laughs> Jessica Black was there. And uh, it's on YouTube, and you can watch it. And there's a lot of evergreen content there, uh, stuff about things that aren't just related to the Olympiacos game. And we actually showed you how the Premier League table will look at the end of the season, so you don't want to miss that. Go check that out. Uh, or go to Patreon, sign up for that, because uh, you love us and we love you, and we just want to consecrate that love. Or don't, doesn't matter. Anyway, that's all out of the way. Let's move on. Pause on Twitter. Pause my pants. Hello, pause. What do you mean, you people? From <laughs> you, the Thunder reference. You, yeah, what, what do you mean? Me, yeah. me and Clive are offended. By the you people? <laughs> Believe yeah. me, when I, I'm not talking about you people because you people believe like I do that process doesn't matter. Okay. I'm talking about the you people who care about process. We, those okay. people. Uh, Clive, uh, it is a pleasure to have you aboard. Clive's on Twitter at ClivePFC. Hello. 
Hello, hello. Enjoyed you on the live stream. You got a lot of love, as you always do, for your glasses, for your outfit, for your bookcase, for just all of it. All the stuff. People just love the stuff, the Clive stuff. They I want to roll around. I don't see the comments. You see them. Just, I see your face laughing. So mm. we don't see them, right? So it's for the best. As long as they're good. As long as they're good. Because that head gets any bigger, those glasses won't fit on it. Um, so <laughs> let's, uh, let's dive into this. And Paul, start with you because you've only got 30 minutes. Um, I do, yeah. So look. This is a game we won and won well, and this tie is probably wrapped up, and that is brilliant. So I want to be able, all of my opening jokes are, are basically about, look, I already listened to the Ars cast, and they had a bit of a moan, and people are having a bit of a moan, and I think there, there's going to be some backlash to that about, like, we won 3-1 away in Europe, and you're having a moan. Our whole thing has been, we're backing Arteta post-Chelsea, because he's really done a great job, and the process has been good, regardless of some of the, let's call them accidents, we've had in terms of results. I think there were things about the way that we arrived at this result that were unfortunate. And so we are going to have to get into them um, and why we keep doing that. But the start of the game, Paul, the start of the game was exactly what we wanted. It was kind of like the Burnley game all over again. Early dominance, not quite getting the goals we deserve, but eventually getting it. Um, you know, I, I think the question on everybody's lips, though, is still going to be the decision to go with Willian. At, at left wide forward. So let's <laughs> let's start there. Let's start with the lineup and his decision to pick Willian. I think a lot of people said, all right, you know, Pepe didn't start against Burnley, but it's because he's wrapped in cotton wool for Europe. He's going to be unleashed against Olympiacos. Once again, he doesn't start. Do you have any sense beyond this sort of ambiguous tactical solidity for why Arteta has preferred Willian, you know, even recognizing that he's had an uptick in his in his performances? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, I think so. I mean, look, I find Pepe a much more exciting name to see on the lineup. But uh, I, I've decided uh, Willian is like, you know, the Mr. Man. He's Mr. Ploddy. Um, there can be an advantage to a guy who doesn't run around too fast, too crazy. He's kind of plodding along, always in the spot that you, that you want him, you being Arteta, kind of in that half space. Um, giving that whole wing open to uh, Tierney to run up and down. And he's just kind of like, <laughs> his assists are funny because they're just passes. I mean, they're good passes. Sometimes they're very good passes, but but I'm not sure they quite meet the category of assist in the sense that we normally mean that kind of visionary guy who spots the opportunity. But they're good. And I don't think we should take away from his crosses and his set piece assists either. I mean, they're they're on the money and they're fairly reliable and they give them to him for a reason. <clears throat> they must think off the training ground. He's quite good at them. So there was the one he banged in for Luis the other day off a set piece. And I think the the one that Gabriel murders for for the second goal that really sets up this this tie for us. Um, is aimed at Aubameyang, but it's still right on the money. It's still right where you'd want it to be. I think he's just good and solid. It's it's not just continuity. Um, if you remember the Sheffield United game when he was good for 10 minutes and we were good for 10 minutes, he kind of drifted into these center spots that linked the play and the play might go from one side of the pitch to the other and it'd be a good plow, a good pass, but it's... It's more that he moves to the right place at the right time, connects the dots. He's like an unexciting Emile Smith-Rowe. Not as dynamic, but he's connecting the dots in a way that Pepe 
doesn't, isn't, won't. Um, you know, you don't bring Pepe on to do the same things as this guy. And I, you know, Tim talked about the balance of having a more technical guy on one wing and a more attacking guy on the other wing. And that guy, that more attacking guy at the moment is Saka. Um, but Saka is also actually broadening his game a little bit. So you're seeing him dropping into the 10 spot or a kind of a wide half space spot. So we now have two, three players who can help support the play and build through Odegaard, Saka, uh, Willian. I, I definitely think we missed the boat a little bit when we think it's Pepe or Willian and pull our hair out because they're just not trying to do the same things. And like you watch them in, in especially late, lately and he just keeps popping up in those same spots and, and being a bridge, being a support and keeping the play rolling, keeping the passes simple. And we've been good. Our best uh, phases of play in recent times in the last couple of games, you know, he's, he's been around, he's been playing them, maybe not the end of the Burnley game, but the start of the Burnley game, he was around and doing good stuff for us. Um, so I kind of get it. He's not super exciting, but yeah. uh, he's kind of useful and keeps popping up this, in the right places, jogging along. <laughs> it's it, he, he's well. That's part of it. Is just that I I still see him walking around way too much. But I I think we've leaned into a narrative, Clive, a little bit of he's there for linking and tactical security. Like we're talking about him like he's a Wobi who was an exceptional linking player, could dribble a guy, could link together, really strong in possession. You know. William is basically a career 75% passer. He's, you know, he's not a midfielder that we're playing at left, left wide forward in the way that Awobi sometimes look. He is a push and run winger who is, you know, and, and I know I've said that a lot and some people push back on that. So maybe that's not. But we're, but we're not using him as one right now. No, we're not. I, but what I'm saying and is. Not, yeah, and his sorry. career passing, do, don't you feel he, we're using him in a different way than. I mean, Clive can talk to this, but it just feels we're, we've leaned into him being used in a very different way, especially when he's off the left. Sorry, Clive. Now, let me let me sort of describe how I how I see it. And maybe Arteta's leaning into this on certain days. And I think he's leaning into this on days when he absolutely needs a result. You now, the biggest moments for him. So if you think about football, it's almost like your interior and your exterior. So in the interior, he's using... Almost like a box, right? With two centre midfielders in Shaka and, and Party, and two attacking midfielders in Odegaard and William. So just imagine that box on the inside. So on the outside, you've got Bellerin and Tierney, sort of you know cuddling the whole team. And ahead of that, you've got in wide spaces, you've got Bamyang's almost like a free forward, and Saka up high. So William, Odegaard, Shaka and Party are your interior, right? So, and so what you're saying is people are thinking, oh, it's Pepe or Winian, and I said last night, it's not Pepe or Winian, it's Pepe or Saka. And it's Saka or Winian, because Saka can play that interior role as well. Smith-Rowe can play that mm. interior role. So Smith-Rowe did it probably too wide, when you, maybe Benfica the first game. He was probably too wide, didn't come in to make the double tens. But you can see what we're trying to do here now, particularly in away games, particularly in big games. A lot of security centrally. Don't have one ten, but two tens. Odegaard and William positions flip-flop a little bit. Odegaard drops in, comes to get it. William goes out when Tierney's back, comes in when Tierney presses. When Tierney presses all the way up the side, Bamiyang comes inside, gets becomes a goal threat. So these are, there's natural movements and real movements you know, that are happening here. 
it's almost as though Pepe, unfortunately, is a victim of the system. He's a victim of Saka's rise on the right-hand side. And really, we're thinking, oh, we want Pepe to play, which is quite right. But the way to get Pepe in this team, for me, is to get Saka on the left-hand side, back and back with Tierney in that partnership, and Pepe on the right-hand side, working with Bellerin. But that hasn't really worked. It's worked with Cedric, but it hasn't worked with Bellerin to this date. So you can see why the manager, maybe with his cautious nature, is just playing with the partnerships that he knows and actually putting the players in that space. And, and I'm afraid Pepe is a victim of that structure he wants to put in place. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's funny, right? Like, the way we describe him and what his role is supposed to be for Arsenal is interesting because when I look at what he did at Chelsea, lots of key passes, lots of dribbles, lots of shot-creating action, low pass completion percentage. Like, he was more Pepe than what, what we're describing as Willian. And I, I, I wonder, Clive, just real quick, is it maybe a little more simple? Like, we're, we're doing a lot of calculus here to, to, to explain this, this selection. Could it be as simple as Arteta wants a righty on the left and a lefty on the right? Saka mm-hmm. starts on the right. Pepe, now when he comes on, he, he, he had a couple games on the left, but mostly he's always been on the right. And look who we've had on the left under Arteta. Aubameyang, Smith-Rowe, and Willian. Those are the guys he really seems to prefer there. So is it just a case of... He wants guys that cut inside and let the fullback overlap. Let Tierney overlap. Let let the the wide forward take the defender away from the fullback and cut inside. I mean, it, he he does seem to want yeah. these these righties on the left and lefties on the right. They had a similar conversation with Frank or Josh online today. Exactly the same thing. So you know, is Smith Rowe really? If Smith Rowe was fit and firing, would he be playing? You know, quite easily, and we now would be sitting. You know, so that's what happened. So it could be that. My personal opinion is I think Saka can do that role really well. He's re- he's done it already, and he can do it really well. And he's two-footed, so I don't see a danger there. And I think what Pepe's shown me, and even this, in this cameo, that he's becoming more and more secure on the ball, under pressure, decision-making, retaining it, keeping it. He, he, I've got to say, he just looked great. And I'm thinking, hold on. His body language is great, isn't it? Because that's the one thing, you, you, like we've seen him uh, get more minutes or less minutes and look like he wasn't happy, that he was kind of yeah. lost. But even when he's only getting a few minutes, at least he looks like he's quite into it. He looks part of the show, doesn't he, Paul? He doesn't yeah. look like he's crying to, himself to sleep. He looks like, nope. you know what? I know I'm coming on here. Yeah. He's like, he... he, he we all feel for him. We we are looking at it, and I'm thinking maybe like he knows the plan for him. Do you know what I mean? He knows what's coming up. He knows what to do. And he and feels he, again, he's well, on a path. Arteta's telling him what he needs to do and telling him he's making progress in the right direction. So he thinks his days are coming. Yeah, but that's what I, that's what I see, and that's what I want to believe. And I really want to believe that. I don't want to believe there's one rule for one and another rule for another. And we haven't even mentioned Martinelli yet, who's also got a right foot off the left-hand side, by the way. So mm, yeah, I don't want to, to believe. I don't want to believe that there's anything in this. I want to believe that the people that matter at Arsenal can see the steps that Pepe's made forward, and when he's on the pitch, we are a dangerous team. Mm. You know, and, I, well, and just, just to say, like, I want to be clear, right? Also, I think Pepe was fine. Uh, pardon me, William was fine. I think he's been fine lately. You know, you you don't have to be bad to not 
<laughs> to not be the one that people would prefer you play, right? Like, it's a question of danger. I mean, it was it was the same debate. I feel in a way this is starting to trend towards the the Awobi debate, where I would say, look, I see all the good things he's doing, but I want more threat in that position, and I still feel the same way about Willian. One thing that's interesting about data and stats, I know not everybody loves stats and data and advanced metrics. The funny thing is, guys, I actually think sometimes why advanced metrics are great is that they capture the eye test more than dumb stats, right? Because, for example, William leads the club, the team, in all comps, in assists, right? Would either of you guys say that reflects what you've watched this season, that William's our best creator? No, I don't, yes. I don't think he, Okay. No, no, no. <laughs> Paul loves an argument. So now let me hit you with, now let me hit you with what the advanced metrics tell you. In expected assists per 90, he is behind Smith Rowe, Bukayo Saka, Kieran Tierney, Nicola Pepe, Hector Bellerin, Danny Ceballos, Cedric Suarez, and Martin Odegaard. That tracks more with what we've seen. Because when you loft a ball across the box and Gabriel goes T-1000 Terminator on it with his head and scores a world, like, yes, you get an assist for that. And Gabriel but... gives Yanam Villa the medical he always wanted at Arsenal. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> well, I love that. So, so Paul, well, let, let's, let's move past the William debate because it is one that I, I think we're all sort of of a piece where... The guy can be fine, but it still begs the question of, of why that selection is being made. And I, I think I'm starting to come around to the idea that it is purely left footer on the right, right footer on the left. Um, Paul, we were dominant early, but one of the things that was happening early was Bukayo Saka was getting targeted. And this is starting to happen more and more. He's really announced mm-hmm. himself, and now he's coming in for some yeah. rough treatment. And I think he's looking a little jaded. I don't think it was a great game from Saka, but at some level, this is the hard part as a 19-year-old. When you've arrived and other teams start treating you like you're the, you're the guy who has to be targeted. I thought that Olympiacos should have had more fouls. One of the things maybe you can wrap into your discussion here, too, of my open-ended mm. question, is I also felt, so who was it? Someone committed a foul and got a yellow card with their first foul for Arsenal. Who was it? It was, and it wasn't a great chance. Oh, yeah. Was it Gabriel? It was Gabriel. Gabriel got a yellow card. Yeah. But look what yeah, happened. Yeah, right. He kind of goes through the guy, and the Olympiacos players are screaming and yelling and around the ref, and they get the yellow card. There's a part of me that thinks it is ugly and it is unpleasant, but Arsenal are going to have to start playing that game to protect our players because they could have had three or four yellow cards for the treatment on Saka. So is that something that this kid now is just going to have to sort of ride his yep. way through and learn to manage? Because I yeah. I can't imagine it's a hell of a lot of fun for him right now. Yeah, and the Burnley game was, was another example of that where he was getting kicked a lot, but he was also... Uh, kind of getting in his fouls himself so maybe he's getting a bit frustrated and um getting some like he he was hacking his uh his corner pretty good mm-hmm. um but he really came to life when we switched wings on him later in the game so he had a different matchup um and i think that's just going to have to be a factor where it it's been it's becoming the case that if you stop Saka to some degree, you stop Arsenal, uh, especially because Odegaard is on his wing too. So obviously if you can gum up Saka, you're effectively gumming up our more attacking side. So that's just a factor. That's the way it is. It, it, you know, is it any different at City with Mares, um or with Sterling, depending on the game they're playing and, and their matchups? You know, one of those guys is going to get fairly heavily neutralized. Comes back to your point of if Willian is Mr. Ploddy on the other side, where's the threat? Uh, it doesn't matter if they're if they're doubly double teaming Saka if Pepe's on the other side and he's firing. So 
we'll have some tactical choices to make. But I think, look, Saka has arrived. Stop Saka and you stop Arsenal is how many teams will approach it. And he'll grow through it. He, you know, I don't... Is he jaded? Is he tiring? I mean, I think he's just, instead of being brilliant, he's just very good at the moment. But he's also getting heavily marked by teams and they're, they're kind of they're not just gumming up the side to st- the right hand side to stop him they're you know with Odegaard over there it's kind of drawing a lot of heat so you're pretty safe overloading the defense on that side and that and we we just got to use that as a strength because if they're 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 overloading one side it means there's space on the other and we've got to get smarter using it yeah but we'll evolve and they'll have to you know they'll get hurt on the other side they'll have to take some move move their defense a little bit away from Saka and then he can hurt them from that side but we'll evolve he'll evolve i don't think he's jaded i don't think he's tired he looks fine and dandy to me but but it's just the last game or two haven't been the ones where he's lit it up though i think he was really really good at the end of the burnley game we just didn't get our rewards for it mm. yeah i mean the the interesting thing about that early period, Clive, is that you, the things that stand out to me are the rough treatment that Saka was getting and then just the absolute dominance we had over Olympiacos for a period of a half hour. I mean, they were dreadful and we were cutting them open. And it, it is an unfortunate reality right now that much like the Burnley game, much like the the Wolves game, even the Villa game at times, we we still don't seem to have the end product in those periods of dominance. You're never going to dominate for 90 minutes. So you've got to make games 2-0 and 3-0 when you have those dominant periods. And and that's how, you know, you avoid having those little accidents cause you cause you a lot of problems. Um I, I think it could be one, you know, one argument for why you need a guy like Pepe out there just because you need a little more end product. But the interesting thing about having the right footer on the left who was the dominant player for Arsenal in that early in, the, in that first 30 minutes? For me, it's Kieran Tierney. And maybe if you have a left footer out there who wants to take it to the end line also and cross, then that doesn't let Tierney find that space to do it. And I thought Tierney was brilliant. He has the pullback to Odegaard that he really whiffs at. That period of dominance for me really highlighted Tierney's quality. And I think who would want to be a football analyst? Because at the same time, the player who I felt was a little out of sync with his teammates was Odegaard. And sure enough, he pops up with the opener. So did you see that that sort of first half hour or so in the same way I did? Clive called the Odegaard goal, I've just got to say. I, I was going to roundly mock you on the live stream, Clive. I'm like, there is no way. He didn't even get in the box. He didn't need to. <laughs> um, yeah, so this partnership to be the great Shaka, who, who really still is the car driver of this team, he decides what happens on the left-hand side. And mm-hmm. he decides... He decides everything on that side of the pitch. He decides when he drops in to receive it. He decides when he drops into the middle three. And when he wants to push it out to Tierney, then Tierney's getting good service. There's no surprise that Pepe's best games were on the left-hand side when he's playing in that little triangle with um, Cedric and Shaka. He's getting the ball as he likes it. He knows what he's got to do. He's the last man up top. I've got to do my thing up here. And so, you know, everything happens through Shaka really. And he fires the ball to Tierney. And then when Tierney is so good at... He's just got different things he can do when he receives it. So said last night, he can when he stands still, he can start things off. He's not dead. He doesn't always go backwards. He can stop and start himself. He can free somebody, go past them. He can go past them on first phase run. 
when he's when he stood up in front of him, he can then take up to him, dribble past him, and cross. He can cross chip. He can cross low. He can cut back. He can shoot. He's actually a very good player. <laughs> he actually is a very good player. And so, and I noticed in the Burnley game, very similar. He started off really hot, and then dialed back. Right. So, did the same this game. Started off hot, then dialed back. I'm wondering if we're playing him in phases to get territory, to get the opposition to go backwards a lot more. Mm. Um, my, my worry is when he dials back, William dials back, William then sits and rests in front of him, and then I think we lose we lose something. I think we lose touches, we lose people coming for the ball, we lose direction, and in both games we have flat periods. We had a flat period in the Burnley game, we had a flat period in the um, Olympiacos game. And I think it's we can't just keep running Teeny out. You know, we just need something else, more penetration. And this is why I do feel we're now doing a great job on the pre-assist stuff. You know, really, that's what he's doing, just keeping continuity, pre-assist, being available. As soon as you block him off, I think he rests. I think he rests in front of Teeny. Teeny doesn't go forward. We lose numbers on the pitch. Honestly, much more activity in that role a little bit more devil to turn around. I honestly feel, I know you, I agree with your point about um, a right footer there. And Smith Rowe does a decent job there as well. But I really feel Saka could really, really kill that side. Mm. And then you get back to the triangle of Saka, Abamyang, Tierney. That's your money, right? Right there. That's your money right there. For me, if I'm the manager or the coach, I'm getting them three boys together. And I can do it now I can trust Pepe to do his thing on the right-hand side so we're not just one-sided. So, yeah, that's how I feel. It's just a matter of time. We can't play the same team every week. Um, we've got to give people different faces, but I want to see that on the pitch too. i got to give you credit because we don't always see football the same way. And, uh, you know, I, I try to learn from the way you see the game. Odegaard had a bad miss in a game a while back, <clears throat> sort of at the top of the box. He w- The ball was rolled back to him. And he struck it over against Aston Villa. Yep. And he struck it over and I was frustrated. And you said, I like that. I like the power in that shot. I like what I see there because I was worried, does he have the power to play this game, to play in this league? And I thought, does that show that? Or does that just show that he's a missing son of a bitch? Well, (laughs) shows what I know because sure enough, he steps up and absolutely rips a hole in the back of the net. Not literally, figuratively. um, Against Olympiacos. It's a hell of a goal. And... The only thing I'll say is, if that's our keeper, I would be livid. <laughs> I mean, anytime the the ball hits the back of the center of the net, um, you're not super happy with your keeper. But he absolutely he absolutely strokes that as as sweetly and as powerfully as he can. And Clive, credit to you because you called it on that villa miss, and it, it shows up here. Um, I'll tell you, put a bulge in my old onion bag. <laughs> Desperately, desperately need that flashy thing from uh, Men in Black, the Neuralizer. Does anybody have a Neuralizer? We need to be sponsored by Neuralizer. Um, Although, no, we want Manscaped because we love them. Um, And they are coming up. So, Paul, I I thought, you know, look, again, period of dominance. We missed some chances. Odegaard, who's not playing particularly well, looks a little out of sync, scores the opener. And then the warning signs are there. David Mm -hmm. Luiz tries to give them a goal um, that they miss. And so, undeterred. Leno and Ceballos subsequently conspire to to give them the goal that they were looking for, which <laughs> spurned us on to a 3-1 victory. So actually, it's quite clever. The first thing I want to get to before the accident, though, is the substitution. 
Um, I thought Thomas Party maybe looked a little unfit. I don't mm-hmm. think he looked his absolute best. He's kind of giving the ball away a little bit, which he's been doing lately, you know, trying to make harder passes. Now, here's the interesting thing, though. I still watch the guy, and the tempo with which he gets it and moves it on is so important. For Odegaard's goal, it's crazy to call it an assist with that strike, but here's the thing I want you to watch if you, if you haven't seen this again. It's an interception. Do you see what, what Party does in that goal? He, the first touch from the interception is a cushioned ball to Odegaard. He doesn't have to take it down, look around, touch, touch, turn around, give it back to the center back. Great that he intercepts the ball, but he intercepts it, and in the same motion, that interception is a volleyed, cushioned pass to Odegaard to get that attack moving. I love that about his game, that tempo, and I think that urgency is why, you know, even though it's not all coming off, we're able to keep teams pushed back and under the caution. And so again, not his best game, but for him to come off there that early, Arteta says it's purely tactical. Now, there's a part of me that hopes, yeah, it's purely tactical, but it's tactical that because he can't say, I had an eye towards the Derby. I understand that a manager can't say that, but do you have a thought on that switch? Because, I mean, I realize it's Ceballos' error that gives them a goal, but seeing Party come off after an hour, you know, I have to admit, I, I was a bit worried. Yeah, I mean, he says if it had been a one-word tactical, well, that's two words, tactical switch, <laughs> I'd be... Well, you know, maybe that's just code for some for I don't really want to talk too much about. It. But he actually goes into some level of detail about wanting to change the shape and and how we were playing inside. So that's a pretty elaborate ruse. I think like I think he might have been a bit frustrated with Party's game. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he's. I think Party has struggled a little bit the last. Two outings now. He hasn't his, been secure. You know, he's still no. doing some good party stuff, but he's not secure with it. Yeah, and like he's just not—he's just not full force. I mean, um, I don't think he's anywhere near full fitness for whatever reasons. Maybe he's carrying an injury. Maybe this is one of the things Arteta referred to when he said about, um, you know, basically players toughing it out for the rest of the season that we were going to have to play through injuries and fatigue and stuff. And uh, obviously some injuries, some fatigue you don't play through, but a lot of it, he doesn't want to get in people's heads that we're tired and we're beaten up and it's it's been a tough season or whatever. He wants them to, if you like, man up and go for it. Now, who knows who or what he's referring to. Um, and I kind of got off the party trail a little bit here, but party doesn't seem to me remotely near a hundred percent. He, he feels like an 85 percent or he's probably a lot closer to a hundred than that, but he might need a game or two. Mm. Um, on the other hand, I can't see him not starting against Spurs. So it may be one of those, you know what, this guy needs a do over. I keep him fresh for next weekend, but, but, you know, I I don't think he liked how we were playing right then. And he wanted to freshen it up, speed it up. Ironically, Danny Danny is part of this group. But I don't think he blamed Danny particularly on that because he talked about it not being about decision making, not being. It was about choosing when we play from the back. Well, the when was chosen by Bernd Leno. Um, so I don't know that he blamed Danny on this. Um, so, but that's a whole other topic. So, and looking at it, like he does, like Danny can do better, but Leno does really drop him in with the pace of that ball. I know there, there's nobody around Danny when Leno passes it to him, but when the ball arrives at him, 
There's one right on him and one right behind him. And that's the yes, problem. San- that's Santi the- Cazorla would have danced around that, mm. but not everybody's Santi Cazorla. The, the, you know the problem, in my view, Paul, is that he gives it to him on his right foot, which is fine. Yeah. He, know, he, he can see the pressure on his right. He can't see the pressure coming off his left shoulder. And so I think yeah. he feels, I'm going to take this touch off to my left to, to pull away from the pressure on my right. The guy who comes in from behind him on the left takes it right off his foot with the first touch. The reason I don't love this pass from Leno also is, and again, I know... He has options. Well, he has options, but also he's 20 yards out of his own net. You know, and it's it's a little different playing a wall pass to Shaka, you know, a three-yard wall pass to Shaka in in your own area um, at the weekend against Burnley. And again, not a great decision there. But he's 20 yards out. He's playing, you know, in the center of the pitch under pressure he can see the whole pitch and he has room and time i i think i think it's just I was okay it's unnecessary danger i was a, yeah. i thought that was perfectly fine we just executed badly uh, the good news is look the reason you do this is to draw the opponent on to make them believe they have a chance of getting the ball god spurs are going to be absolutely convinced <laughs> they <laughs> they can can, yeah that's what it is it's we're, we're playing possum we're, play, we're gonna yeah, make yeah. spurs press and then just play our way around them paul do i have to let better. you go here you do. Oh, oh shit! Better go. Okay. Uh, Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, Paul. Woohoo! Okay, Clive. Um. So as far as the error go. goes, I, I don't think it is like the, the most tantalizing um, podcast content to just sit here and say, "Is it Leno's fault or Sabios's fault or both of their fault?" Or I, I think the more interesting conversation is, why are we doing this? Why is Louise giving it away? Why is Ceballos and Leno conspiring to give it away? Two minutes after that, Shaq is caught on the touchline. He luckily nutmegs a guy, which, again, like, that could have been a turnover. And then he gives it to William, who immediately gives it back to them. Um, why do we go through these periods where suddenly our technical security and our, our composure le- leaves us, especially when it, we're seemingly... I mean, we're handing an impetus to teams that are dead. Burnley were dead. Olympiacos were dead. What I, I hate... Re- referring to mentality because it's a guessing game whenever you do that, but it's hard not to look at this team and say there is a mental fragility to it where we just can't handle success. Yeah. Uh, it's technical details really. And, um, on the, on the Shaka one, the, the, um, the, there was a few things wrong there with the way he approached the ball, everything, a lot of football is what you do before you get the ball, you know? And, um, funny enough, I only did a great example of showing what you do exactly the same path. And then he dances around the ball, shakes his body to the left-hand side, to our left-back area, and punches it back to Gabriel off the first touch. That's what we got. The work was done before the ball arrives. What Shaka and, and Tobias did, and this not, this not missed about here, Lena has a part to play, particularly with Tobias's one. What they've done is they've not worked appropriately before the ball's come to allow themselves to do it off one touch. They both come onto it square, they haven't checked their shoulders. They haven't seen their angles. And they've put themselves in a situation where they're needing more than one touch. You have more than one touch in the T-shaped. So it's almost like a T-shaped ex- mm-hmm. exit. Up the T, left or right. Everyone knows what you're trying to do. You've got to do it in one touch. You've got to do it quick. Pace the pass helps. It really informs you what to do. And then you flip it. They both didn't do that. And they're both not that great once they have two touches. Right? They're not quick. Can't recover. Job done. Yeah. Leno badly at fault mm-hmm. because for me, he's taken the option to dump it onto somebody else. And it's not even in his goal. The risk versus reward, right? Is the risk of me passing there, potentially losing it, and I'm not even standing in my net? 
That's a poor decision from him. But even so, once you've done it, there's technical deficiencies on the player's side as well. So when I look at us, you know, when I look at us sometimes, I just think we make bad decisions on the pitch. We don't move quickly enough. We don't move a level of urgency. We don't do pre-prep, I call it. We don't prepare ourselves right. We don't prepare ourselves right with options. Sometimes when you give someone the ball, you've got to know their next pass. Otherwise, you're just passing on responsibility and not helping them. Right, so I think we do that sometimes, particularly with our defenders. They do that a fair bit. Louise does it on occasion. Shaka does it on occasion. Bellerin does it on occasion. He changes his mind. He goes against what he originally was going to do. He hasn't got the technical ability to then get out of the problem. We do this a lot. It's not bad intention. It's, I'm afraid it's player quality. Because mm. good players get out of things. It's as simple as that. Good players get out of issues that they've either created themselves or teammates have created for them. And that's the problem, I'm afraid. And the players that we know and love, we're now thinking about in yesteryear, they were big problem solvers, weren't they? Not problem creators. Yeah. And we're creating our own problems at the moment. And it's, it's draining, yeah. I mean, we do, we do the Instant Reaction podcast and one of our listeners, Eddie, said to me today, he said, Hey man, I, it's twenty minutes in. I feel de- I feel depressed. depressed. He's one, <laughs> and I thought, yeah, he's right. He's absolutely right. But that's just us absolutely traumatized. How this team is draining us. It's in context, Clive. If the Wolves game hadn't happened and the Burnley game hadn't happened, right, and uh, the Burnley first game hadn't happened, and all of these games where we conspire, you know, the Benfica tie just before where we were in a, a pretty dominant position and and give it away. I mean, Ceballos with the header back that gives him a goal, like. Sure, if if one of them happens, maybe you're not so focused on it. But when they continue to happen, and in this game we had three times where we tried to give it to them. So yeah, I mean, at 1-1, the best chance of the game falls to Olympiacos. And yeah. so the 3-1 feels great, but it's an Elneny worldie, which of course you expect if he's on the pitch. So that to be fair, that's like a tap-in. And it's a Gabrielle header of the gods from nothing. I mean, this is one of the ironies of football is we've been this dominant XG force lately, but in this game... You know, our goals, our three goals combined are less than like 0.2 XG. So, you know, we rode our luck a little bit in this game. Having said that, we did have dominant periods. I I think the interesting thing, you talk about quality, Clive, and look, you can say whatever you want about Thomas Party, but I've seen Granite Shaka kick the ball into our own net, and I've seen Danny Ceballos give the ball away for easy goals. I have not seen Thomas Party do that because technically he's just a little more secure. He can wriggle out of danger, and he, he has that that vision and that awareness and that ability. And I'm not saying he's getting everything right, but yeah, I do, I do think it still comes think, down to quality. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think sometimes, because we know players like Party and, and Pepe have got you know, high quality levels, when they fall below it, we sort of notice. But when other players, say William, for example, who's you know a pretty steady player, when he gets close to his norm, he gets rewarded, you know, and I think... I You're think saying by Arteta. We, so in other words, yeah, if Willingen puts in a 7 out of 10, which is his, his ceiling, he gets a reward for it. And when Pepe drops to a 7 out of 10, he gets dropped. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Let's just take Saka and Party for example. So sometimes when people are assessing players, they look at what they've done, the ball leaving their boots. And then I looked at numbers today, and I don't always look at numbers, but I did my FB ref thing today, and I mm-hmm. see the amount of presses that Saka made. Even when he's having a poor execution game, he's still working really hard for the team, right up there, right? So if you want to know how good party was, and maybe there was a couple of cases when he got caught on the ball. He got caught on the ball while he's trying to move away from people. So that tells me he's not fit. Once he steps you, you're done. 
So the fact he's getting caught means that's that's a fitness issue for me, not a not a party issue. But the moment he comes off, there's this big hole in the middle of the pitch, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Massive hole in the middle of the pitch. There's no control. There's no central pivot. So just by him being there, we have structure. We have someone to play to. We have someone that makes us feel comfortable in our shoes and comfortable and assured within our team structure. I'm a big believer that within a team, you have psychological pillars that make other people comfortable. I think Shakari is one of them, and I think Party is another. Right? So, and the moment that pillar went, you have somebody else come on who's different, who's not a pillar. He's somebody that likes to have touches. Now, Sabaris was on the pitch for 36 minutes. I think he had a similar amount of touches to Party had in 54 minutes. He's somebody that wants it. But because he wants it so much, he goes to get it. Mm-hmm. And when he goes to get it, he leaves the back door open. Right? And people are coming in his kitchen and taking his TV out. Like, literally. And like, so he needs, he needs to I, think. I, I got to stop you. I got to stop you. Did, well, I mean, he's rich, so maybe. But like, d- does he have a TV in his kitchen? Do you, well, I mean, people have maybe, would they, would they come into his like living room and take his TV? They have I, these I, I know that's not your central point, but it really sticks in my craw. Anyway, go ahead. And in a lot of UK homes now, what you have, you have the little islands in your kitchen, you have a little orangery at the back, and you have your TV in your kitchen. That's the heart of the home now, right? And then you have a little snug off to the side. That's what a lot of people are doing, right? So I live under TV a bridge and take money from people when they cross it, so I wouldn't know. <laughs> and so... And so that's how he plays. So I've, I've seen this for a while. So when Tobias plays centre mid, when we sort of liked him in centre mid towards in lockdown, post-lockdown, when he was really on top form, he was doing that at a back three. But it's okay for him to fly around because you had a back four diamond with Shaka there. So so Tobias was doing the old Ramsey thing more laterally or Ramsey was a bit more vertical. But he was floating from side to side, getting on it and punching it. And we wanted him to do that because Shaka was a structure guy. We have a little diamond shape behind him. Do what you like, son. When you come on in the back four, you're one of two in front. Stand stand still. Stand still. It's a bad substitution, really. The substitution should have been El Nini. He's happy standing in that slot. He's happy being a release valve for everybody else. You almost need somebody who doesn't really want to go searching for food. Stand still, mate. It'll come to you be there when they need you. And and I do think um, that was a miss. And we got hold of this game the moment El Nene and Pepe came on and we flipped Sha- uh, Tobias forward. And when I saw him doing the same moves he was doing deep, I was incredibly encouraged because he's doing them high up. And I want somebody to do stuff there because it might just come off. And he has the technical arrogance to make it come off. So I'm not saying he's a 10, but he definitely can share that role with people. And for me, he's a third midfielder when it really counts. And if you are going to box him up in midfield, it's to replace Shaka, not to replace Party. Stick him on the left, where he's got mates around him that can keep him in their own little pod on that side. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I want to get to the day Arteta had and the substitutions and sort of lack thereof as well. Just a quick point, though. You know, you talk about going to FB ref and looking at the stats. It, it's interesting how quality becomes important and having the the critical involvements is important in the sense that like Odegaard for me was a player who at many times during the game seemed out of sync with his teammates. And yet you look at the game he has and he has 10 shot creating actions. No one else in the team had more than four, which was Saka, by the way. Um, he scores a, a goal, a sensational goal, obviously. He has 
58 carries, but 19 progressive carries, which led the team. Four dribbles attempted, four dribbles successful. Uh, tied for the lead with the team along with Hector Bellerin, who I think also had a, a good game. And, you know, des- deserves a little credit in, in a tough season that he's had. So, yeah, for me, that that's one of those things, right? You need that player who can have that influence at the key moments. Odegaard also took four shots. If you want to be critical of Thomas Party for anything, by the way, Clive, you and I did a scouting report on the guy. We watched the video. He's got a thunderbolt that he can hit, but my goodness, his, his shooting boots have not been on right yet since he's been at Arsenal. Another one he blasts into Rosette. Um, Let's do this. I I think we can take a a quick break to talk about something maybe not as Arsenal related. And then after that, we'll, uh, we'll talk about the subs. We'll talk about what it means for the tie. And of course we'll do a little preview of the Derby because that is obviously hugely important on everyone's mind today. But you know, I think sometimes you just need to take a little break. Do you, do you guys do spring break in, um, in the UK? Do you have that? Not really. Not really, no. So, like, in the U.S., in, in March, the schools have what they call, like, a spring break. Uh, the, the grade schools, the universities, things like that. And it, it has kind of become culturally kind of a party time. Um, not like Thomas party, but sort of like a go to go to the beach, go somewhere warm with your friends. You consume some alcohol. Not underage, of course. We wouldn't, wouldn't have that. Um, and just kind of a party time. And so, uh, you know, we call it spring break. And it is, uh, it's a rite of passage in a way. Many of us, most of us listening to this, may be a little too old for that, but it doesn't mean that Manscaped can't give you a spring break gift, a spring break surprise, a spring break benefit. And that is what I'm here to tell you about, my friends. Because as you know, Manscaped, we're a huge fan of them here at the pod. Huge fan. I use it. I am going to Florida to see my parents. Going to sit by the pool. And I'm going to look great in my Speedo. I am. I might even go with the thong speedo because I'm just all cleaned up and you should be too because pretty soon the vaccines are rolling out. The weather's getting warmer more and more and more of our body is going to be on display, thankfully. And I want it to be as clean and beautiful as possible. So there's a new promotion here. It is the perfect package 3.0. I think there might be a double entendre there, but I'm not going to dig into it. The perfect package kit comes with the lawnmower 3.0, the perfect waterproof cordless body trimmer, which as you know, as I'm sure Clive is aware as well, has the advanced skin skin safe technology, so it won't tug or pull or nick or bite, unless you like that. No kink shaming on this podcast. It also comes with a whole bunch of cleansers and tonics and things for your downstairs area, as well as a uh, gift bag, like a, a a travel bag. They call it the shed travel bag. It's forty dollar value, but it's the um you know the stuff you put all your toiletries in and stuff. Those are nice to have. And it comes with the Manscaped boxers, which I wear. They are super duper comfortable. Um, they're actually great for working out too because they don't really chafe. They just have a nice... Um, I'm not going to get into what they have a nice, but but they're good for, for exercise. Let's, let's leave it there. Point is, you get all of that plus 20% off, plus free shipping when you use the promo code ArsenalVision at Manscaped.com. Manscaped.com, promo code ArsenalVision, 20% off and free shipping. You get a bag for your toiletries. You get some products for your bag. If you know what I mean, you get the lawnmower 3.0 and you get the boxers. Come on. That's pretty good. And they, they write some ad copy for me to say, and I never say it because, you know, when, when have I ever followed directions? But I do think it's funny. Um, did, you, did you ever see the movie uh, the Anchorman? I do kind of like Anchorman. And mm, they say even clear. Veronica Corningstone wouldn't say no to this pants party. Because as you know, there's a character Brick who goes up to Veronica in the movie and says, do you want to come to the pants party? And she says, Brick, are you inviting me to a party in your pants? And he says, yes. She says, no, Brick, I would not like to go to the party in your pants. But even Veronica Corningstone would not say no to this pants party is the 
is the ad copy that I am meant to read. In any event, 20% off, promo code ArsenalVision, free shipping. Go to manscaped.com. Do it now. Manscaped.com, promo code ArsenalVision, and get the perfect package 3.0 kit. Do it. Do it. Celebrate spring. Come on. Put on your Speedo. Put on your thong. You're going to love it. Clive, is that enough? God, yes. Yeah, that's plenty. That's absolutely Are you plenty, sure? Yeah. Are you sure it's enough? You feel, you Man, seem I sure. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want you to purge my brain and my football things in my head. So let's get back to it, shall we? <laughs> well, we can shave them off. All right. Enough of that. Enough of that. Let's get on to the substitutions. So the Ceballos for party one, I have to admit, was confusing. Um, and obviously <laughs> didn't work out quite right. But the game drifted. If I have a criticism of this game, it's the same one as the Burnley game, Clive. A period after their goal where they had more of the opportunity, we looked nervy, and it just drifted. And admittedly, I leaned into the belief when I saw El Elneny was going to be the first sub that he has decided what we have, we hold, tighten it up, keep possession, and just get the 1-1. It didn't work out that way, although I don't think even Mikel Arteta would say I brought Mikel, uh, Mohamed Elneny on to score a Galazzo. But... Before we get to why Elneny, because in in having watched this a little bit again, now I see what it was done for, which is to push Ceballos further up the pitch, out of that facility, out of that deeper role, and and it worked. But <clears throat> um, why so long? Why did we let it drift so long? Eighty second minute for that next substitution is is that a problem for you? It's a problem that he didn't recognize. Um, well. Again, we come back to Tobias, who had a bad time against Benfica in that stadium. And very quickly, he's given another opportunity in a critical moment in the European tie. And he's naturally going to want to impress. Know your players. It's very important you know your players. He's naturally going to want to impress. And when he wants to impress, he's going to dance around, right? So he saw that. So rather than sub-subbing, he brought on Elneny. And people are thinking, Elneny, what's he going to do? But Elneny is going to do exactly what he always does. Sometimes he, he can be not very progressive. Sometimes he can be. You never can tell when. As soon as you get on the Elneny train, he starts to go backwards all the time. You think, crikey, why did I bother? Then on another day, he gives you exactly what's required. So to me, it was, a, it was a bad substitution on the day. And I do feel sometimes, I've always felt this from the start with him, it's always about five or ten minutes a little bit later than it should be. I mean, Pepe's jumped on the plane, done all train sessions for, was it 11 minutes or something, or 11 touches? Mm -hmm. <laughs> 11 touches, cheers, mate, thanks a lot. I'm doing, I think he deserves more than that. You know, I think he deserves more time. And I think, I look at the team sometimes, Elliot, and I don't know if I'm going to get this description right, but I feel we lack a level of assurance and real belief in our quality. And so the players we have playing in these spots, you know, if you just look at them, you know, Gabriel now has grown from his performance last night. Dab Louise, he's on the way out. Right? He's collecting cash. He's on the way out. He's trying to offer some leadership. Right? Bellerin is in and out. We're not sure of his future. Tin is solid. Look at midfield two. One searching for fitness. One has to play every minute because we haven't got the quality. Right? So he goes to the double tens. Willian, what, where is he in his life? Is he offering the assurance and quality and certainty? Odegaard, again, he's in a, a bit of a project to repair him, to get him back to those levels. We're just starting to see him. And he's not and our player. He's not <laughs> our player. We've got a 19-year-old superstar kid developing that we've overplayed a little bit and we're trying to look after. And we've got our superstar captain 
in the autumn of his career, but still delivering. Right? So that, that assurance, that glue, that player was, was really meant to be party, but we're nursing him. But we need more. We need more off the, off the left, and we need more quality and man strength in the 10. Right? So, and so I look at this group, and when you're making substitutions, am I bringing on that assurance that we really believe in ourselves? No, we're bringing on goodish players that produce some of the time within a game, not for long periods, in 15-minute chunks. And that's why we get so exasperated when we see the Burnley game, the Wolves game, the Benfica game, when we're in charge and we don't maximise it because we know in our hearts it's not going to last. It's not going to last. And that drives the anxiety in how we assess the performances. We get overcritical when we miss chances because we know. We know we're going to dip. And that's down to our fitness levels, our intensity levels, our quality in the lead, being comfortable, being at the head of the race. What do you do then? Do you wait for the next problem or do you push on? Can you push on? The only way you can do that is by executing, by keeping the same pace of pass, doing the same runs, the same movements, and you keep doing it, you keep doing it, you keep holding each other to stand. And when they break, you take them. You take them out. You don't, there's no momentum with sloppy passes. That's what we do. We sloppy passes. They create momentum. They push us back. And those feelings we got when we were even beating Leeds 4-1 at home, we were a little bit worried when they scored. And went the 4-2, come on, we were all petrified. Why is that? Because it's deep-rooted in the team. That, that ability to derail is right there. This is a big coaching challenge. And this is why some of these buys, William buy, the Louise buy, the Lichtsteiner buy, the Socrates buy, all these buys are to try to fix this culture issue on the pitch. But I feel, I, you know, there's a bit of me that says, you know what, is that working? Or do we need to trust our talent? Yeah, and I think could, the latter. And, and <clears throat> trust our talent, trust the younger players, trust them. They will learn by going through the experiences that we're going through anyway. Well, because also, Clive, there's a reward for that. There's a reward for doing it because, like, trusting William, even if it works, where does it get you? He's 32. It doesn't get you anywhere. You're not going to sell him on for a profit. He's not going to take you to the promised land. Like, if you if you trust your you younger goes, talent, if you, you build for, for you know, Go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, sorry, man. I should have cut you up then. Trust your talent because... So what? William's there to give us a bit of continuity. So what? But he's, he's taken millions out of the club. Mm. Then what? You know, then what? Trust your talent. Trust them. They will develop that mentality. They will. I don't think the experienced players that we've used to try to bridge this squad to the next level, I don't think I've done enough. I don't think I've done enough. In some cases, they've added to the trauma. You know, I think... I understand the thought process around the project. You top and tail it. I understand it. You need to have a, a certain level of play at the top end to make sure that we don't fall through the bottom end and we can create a floor for this team. But the floor for this team at the moment is 10th. We've been 13th, 14th at some point. That's you the basement much... then. If, if, if the floor is 10th, <laughs> 13th the <Yeah>. basement. <laughs> and so I understand why they did it. I really do. But I don't think those some of those experienced players have really carried their their weight this year and um they they do need to because we're now stopping other younger players and i'm not sure the benefit is um is you know is being realized i really don't i'm not sure at all 
Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And I mean, you know, we talked about this a little on the instant reaction pod, but like there is this perception, I think, sometimes among coaches that you need these grizzled veterans to carry out your instructions or to be reliable. And I think that's just sort of old thinking about the game. I mean, one of our best, most reliable players is Kieran Tierney. And he's, is he 24, 23? He's just coming into his prime, you know, and, and was acquired relatively inexpensively by the standards of his quality. And you look at the player, you know, Bukayo Saka's 19. Aubameyang, okay, fine. You know, he's going to put the ball in the back of the net and he's in his 30s. But, you know, Thomas Partey is 27, right in the heart of his prime. Um, you know, if you look at the back, who have been our best defenders? Gabriel? Holding? You know, so it's, I don't think it's the case that you need these these grizzled veterans to 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 carry out the instructions. You need talent, and you need talent coming into its prime, coming into its best moments. And the other thing you know is, Willian is not going to be better at 32 than he was, 33 than he was at 32, and he's not going to be better at 34 than he was at 33. The other advantage of leaning into your talent is, Smith Rowe could be much better next season than this season, and even better the season after that. And Pepe, who's just coming into his prime, could be better next season and better the season after that. And Saka certainly will be as well. And that, you know, Tierney can get better. You know, and that's one of the advantages is that you can have organic improvement that doesn't require you having to go into the market. Your players just get better. That's that's one way you can improve. Um, I think sometimes when you have the older players, you feel duty-bound to play them. You're not going to make these guys jump on a plane and not, not play them. And so... They are your senior players. That's where your money is. That's where your experience is. And as a club, as a coach, you feel as though you must get them in. And you, it's easier sometimes to drop a kid. No, I'm not I'm not seeing a difference. I want to see much more sharing of games. I've got no problems with um, William and, and Louise playing, for example. But share the games. Share a bit more of the games. Louise is going to play three games. He's probably going to play against Spurs. I'm not sure he should. Probably going to play against Spurs. We need to share the games a little bit more. Don't make them feel as though they're just going to stroll into this team. They have to work, share the games, make sure we're giving these younger players the minutes they deserve. Mm. And to be fair, Arsenal do this quite well. So I'm being a bit journalistic when I say that. But I don't want to see players stopped or six and a half out of ten players, in my opinion. Yeah, no, well said. I think all of those points you've made are really good and just are a really nice high-level view of, of where we need to be going as a club. In terms of this game specifically, Clive, I think... I was frustrated that Arteta waited as long as he did to change it. Uh, I think the game was drifting, and it was there for us to win. Their quality's not that good, and I just felt 1-1. We went out to this team last season having won in Olympiacos. I didn't feel 1-1, especially seeing the scare we got from Benfica, was a, was a result that we should take away from this game happily, given the way we'd played. He makes the changes, and this is where I think TV screwed me from a Twitter standpoint. I was pretty annoyed at the El Nini swap being his first swap after the party one. I heard. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I had a little bit of a shocker. To be fair, to be fair, I wasn't alone. I don't think there were a lot of people that thought El Nenny coming in at 1-1 is the move that's going to break the draw, that's going to break the deadlock. Now, having said that... I think it was, it's, he was put on to stop us losing the game. I, well, that's, that's my point, I though. I, and it felt very negative to me. But the irony is what TV did not tell us, because they're like, oh, well, then he's getting ready to come on. They didn't tell us that Smith, Rowe, and Pepe were too. And if I had known it was going to be a triple swap, Pepe, Smith, Rowe, and El Nini all coming on. That feels a little more like, all right, let's just keep the shape, freshen it up, get fresh players on, and continue to push at them. And it worked. I mean, we did dominate from that point. Now, the irony is the goals come from a Galazzo from El Nini, which, you, well, first, the sensational Gabriel header, and the Galazzo from El Nini, neither of which you can plan on. 
But there was a fourth and a fifth and a sixth in there towards the end if we wanted it. We really had them beat. Uh, there was a counterattack we referenced in the Instant Reaction pod where Smithrow breaks out, gives it to Lacazette, and Lacazette conspires to turn it into nothing. It was a really dreadful counterattack. But do you... I mean, he may have waited too long to do it, but do you think the changes did exactly what they were meant to do? It injected just enough um, freshness at a very tired Olympiacos at the end of the game to, to swing it? I mean, how do, you, how do you see that last end period playing out? Because similar to the Burnley game, again, after that flat period, we were dominant at the end, and this time we got the goals. Yeah. So I think as Adrian Clark has said something recently about, you know, Arteta's got to develop a gear change in the team. And if you look at the last two games, we've, we've really had that. But it's hard to critique apart, apart from the fact we've dropped two points at Burnley. But we seem to be adding a gear change in the team. And again, I'm fine with um, sharing of games. I'm, I'm fine with that, as long as it's consistent and fair. Um, we need to do we do need to inject things, but I don't want certain people to be just known as impact players, you know. So um, my feeling is it's always a little bit late on these things, but I don't mind the fact that we seem to have a gear change in the team. I think it's a really important factor I, I again I, he's got to develop plan B it's not it's very it's a very you know general thing to say oh we need a plan B what does that mean but I do think there needs to be a place where we go when we're under stress maybe we change certain people change certain shapes we got to develop another game scenario when we're one nil down one one whatever it is we need to end that last that last third that last quarter in a much better way than we have done previously in the season, where a lot of our goals in the last 15, 20 minutes, we don't score very many, you know? So this was a pleasant change. So we, whether we agree the substitutions or not, it worked. It really worked. It we and ended that game. Is, is it fair to say that the, the Elneny one in particular worked in that, I thought Ceballos was much better in that last 10 minutes when much Elneny better. came on because the, the, the spaces he was able to take up, he could roam around, he could, you know, come for the show for the ball and whatnot, but he didn't, he didn't do it to the detriment of our structure in front of the back four. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And sometimes you want you want that gene, that player, that come and give it to me player. You want that higher up. You don't always want it down low because people do give it to you. They trust you. They think, oh, you're, you're moving for the ball. Great. You must really want it. You, you've got a plan, have you? Oh, you haven't got a plan. Shit. It's a goal. <laughs> right? So that sometimes can happen. It's just knowing your players. I said it before. Just know your players. You know, he's a Tobias is a bright player. Smith Rowe wants to go and get the ball, have touches. They're basically they're attacking mids, really. That's what they are. I suppose there's a little bit of um, discussion, really. We brought on Smith Rowe for a left hand role, more an interior role. You know, I was thinking, Martelli, you've been busting fit. You know, you're ready to play. You haven't played a minute in the last eight games. It would have been nice to have seen him. I mean, if he comes on left hand side, just to buzz around a little bit. As a reward for a player that's trying to get back in, rather than have a player in Spiffro who trained once, didn't look fit to me when he was on the pitch, wasn't moving well, body doesn't look quite right to me at the moment. I, I, I find Martelli, I'm a little bit gutted I didn't get a few minutes towards the end. That's just my thought. What, what's going on with that? I mean, is that, is that an issue? <laughs> I think it might be an issue on how they view themselves, you know, I think Arteta may view him as one position and Martelli views himself off the left. My and Arteta might see him as a striker. I think he's off the left. I think he's a, a forward that comes in. With a Kiratini there, his role is defined. He works in and out and he works up and down. He's got a right foot shot like a rocket. He just needs time on the pitch really to define 
the way he wants to play so we can see how best to use him. Because right now he's a memory. He's a memory that's fading for us. We forget really, really quickly. I personally don't want to be a run-around centre-forward on his own. I don't think he's quite got the size to do that yet. Um, the way we're playing like a free forward, it might work in some games when we're in charge, but he's a left he's a left sider, mate, coming off the right for me, and I, I've got no problem with him. He works, and he threatens. He wants one-twos, he wants ball passes. I've got no issue with him getting minutes. I don't think he'll let anybody down. You just need to tell him where position he needs to be in certain scenarios, and and when we've got it, he's got to be freer. And that's it. I hope there's not a problem there. Um, <clears throat> yeah. To be fair, if you look at the if you look at our injury record, for example, it's really, really good at the moment this season. Touch wood. And sometimes we see players pushed out for two, three games at a time, and I get worried and frustrated and think, why is he out? Why is he out? But they're all fit. They're all fit for the running. So maybe they know more than us. Yeah. Well, look, <clears throat> um, you hate to harp on a 19-year-old not getting playing time when we just won 3-1 away in Europe, but he's got to play mm-hmm. some minutes. I mean, he can't not play. You don't want your 19-year-old potential superstar not getting any minutes. It's it's not a great situation. But look, at the end of the day, I mean, it is a sensational goal from Gabriel. It is a sensational goal from El Elneny. It is a 3-1 win away, and it should be job done. Maybe it lets him start Martinelli Thursday, um, which I think he should. By the way, I mean, if he... If he doesn't really lean into some opportunities in that game, that would be disappointing. But it's all now set up for the game of the season for us in the league, which, you know, there's going to be a lot of those down the stretch. But it's Tottenham at the Emirates on Sunday. Spurs uh, mm. d- did beat Dinamo Zagreb 2-0. Uh, United, quite hilariously, held 1-1 to Milan. It could have been worse, but VAR varred them out, as VAR is want to do for them. Look, you can make an argument we're playing Spurs at the worst possible time. They had hit a lull under Mourinho. They were kind of a laughing stock. They brought Bale back in. They brought Deli Alley in, sort of. Harry Kane is back. And, you know, they look like they at least have some semblance of an idea of what they want to do. Our season feels like it hinges on this. And again, it's going to feel like it hinges on this when we play West Ham and when we play Liverpool and when we play Chelsea and when we play Everton. But those aren't derbies and this is. So... What do you expect from this game, and do you have any kind of hopeful expectation of who he'll who he'll pick for it? Yeah, let's do a bit on Spurs first, actually, because um, they've changed their team slightly in the last few weeks. Doherty seems to be in a right back with Sanchez instead of Dyer at centre back, so they got some speed there. Interesting to see what they do at the right back situation. I've got a funny little feeling they might put Sissoko there for this game. They know about our speed on that side, but we'll see. Regulon, everyone seems to like him. I'm not so sure myself, but everyone seems to like him. Uh, Endombele and Hoiberg in centre mid. And the front four diamond of Bale on the right, Song on the left, and Lucas Moore buzzing around like a pressing agent, doing all Harry Kane's water carrying for him, while Harry just says, yeah, give it to me here. Right. So so it looks quite a decent team that believes in themselves. There's no, <laughs> in that front six, there's no 19-year-olds in there. There's no 20-year-olds in there. They're all seasoned dogs, right? They've done their done their work. And so they're going to feel quite confident in this year. Now, how are we going to play them? How, what are we going to do? And I think sometimes Spurs, they have a unique talent when they do feel superior that they actually forget to actually play. You know, they really do. And I think for all the times we've lost to them or drawn with them, a lot of those games we've been we've been in charge 
you know we've actually been in charge and i think it's important that we go out there with a level of control and belief but not desperation i felt in the the away game we were so desperate to win we put our 45 million pound signing on the pitch in one leg Mm. and everything bred we're desperate for this that anxiety you know we mentioned before we call it status anxiety that anxiety about holding on to who we are we must be much cooler so yeah don't worry we can play we can play with you be calm take the game in phases control the story of the game don't be so desperate that we end up having to chase the game because chasing the game against a Mourinho team is not something you want to do they're set up for that scenario. What we need to do is start to prick their confidence, their assurance, by playing well. By playing well, but also playing in a compact way because they are going to want to break on us. They are very good at transitioning. So we have to have an eye on the back door. We may have to travel a little bit longer and then get in behind it and play from there. But have an eye on the back door. Have a system and a shape of smart offensive distances and cover when we have the ball, we're going to need to be quite individualistic in the top end. This is why I feel Pepe should definitely play in this game because we might not be able to get the five and six lanes covered. We may need to rely on somebody taking two people out. You see what I mean? To make sure we've got mm. the back door covered. So I hope we go into it in that way. I know people listening are thinking, I'm desperate to win. I'm desperate to win. We've got to win. We've got to close the gap. We've got to close the gap. That's exactly what they want, that desperation to catch them, that desperation to overcommit. We need people that can stand in their slots, own their space, own their jewels, and play from there. And do it in a calm way. I think we've got a good chance, a really good chance. Central midfield is a problem for us. And Party was brought in to give us a dominance in a part of the pitch where we've really suffered. He's got to play like that player in one of these big games. And I hope he's fit, and I hope he can come in and do that. I, you know, I, I expect it to be a big night for party against Olympiacos. They have nothing like his quality. I thought he could just carry the ball through them and and facilitate a lot of the things that we wanted to do. I don't think it was a great night for him. He doesn't look like he's fully fit and comfortable, but we need that because, you know, Shaka, who has been better, and he, he's done some things well, he is still, you can target him. You know, I think especially in big games where he wants to, his personality, I've said this before, I think his personality is bigger than his talent. And in games where he really leans into his personality, I think sometimes you see bad Shaka. Um, I think it's also interesting what he's going to do at center back. Because you can make an argument right now that Gabriel, Marie, or Holding all deserve to start over David Luiz, but he seems to prefer David Luiz. And I'm just fearful of having these players who have that mistake in them. You know, do I see this being a, a, a David Luiz hauling down son from behind red card penalty, Kane slots it? I mean, th- those are the things you worry about with mm. Luiz that you don't worry about as much when you have the other guys out there. So I think what do you... My team? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to hear it. I'll give my team. I'm just, just thinking about them, um, given the fact that people are rested and, and what I think should happen, really, not nothing personal any players. I think Lene and goal... I don't think we should go into this game with Louise and Bellerin on the right side channel. I think we're just saying, come in here if we do that. So my personal view is I play Cedric right back and I would play Holding. I play Gabriel because I think we need some speed there just to make sure, particularly with Bell and or Son, they might swap depending they go where they think the slow dog is. Obviously Tierney, I would go party and Shaka in centre mid. I would play the combination on the right-hand side with Pepe on the right-hand side. Um, and I would um, 
I would then go um, Odegaard and I would then go um, Saka and then I would go Kane. But if I could see the manager playing William, but I would definitely, sorry, not Kane, I mean, Aubameyang. I would go Aubameyang. And You're going to get I would pelters do. for that. Just FYI. <laughs> no, uh, uh, some people would like that. Yeah, <laughs> so, uh, that's and so, and that's what I would do. And I would just make sure that we had individualists in the in the wider areas because we may not be able to support them like we have done in previous games. And I think that's what I do for this game. Again, we've got another game on the Thursday, so it's not a problem. We've got West Ham this weekend, so big games. But look after your right hand slot. You know, I think left hand slot is always taken care of. Look after your right hand slot. Make sure you've got relationships there. And make sure you've got individualists that make them a little bit unsettled. And I think, you know, don't don't also go chasing the game. Make them come on to us and see if we can break on them and be aware of the counter press. And I think we've got a good chance, you know. That's what I feel like. I think um I don't think their fullbacks are strong. That's the key for me. Defensively, Doherty and Reginald, they're not strong. They are not strong. Sanchez is a Mustafi. And Aldevaro is getting on now. So we've got to get to those spaces with good early service and then go from there. And I think they're going to be looking to stick their front four diamond onto us and take the ball off us and slice us. Uh, why wouldn't you after seeing the last two or three games? Mm. I wonder if maybe now that he's fit and back that Smith Rowe will start on the left with Odegaard at 10. Um, Do you think he's fit? I don't think he's fit. I don't think he's fit at all. You know, but I, I can see that. I can see that. And I think it's a good option, but I don't think he's fit. Well, I also think, close. And I don't know if Arteta thinks this way. But do you want an English Academy kid in the Derby who understands what it means, who's going to be absolutely at 120% wanting? And maybe sometimes that's a bad thing, right? Sometimes that gets in the way of you just playing your game. Um, it can cut either way, and Arteta will certainly have a better feel for that. But when you can play Saka and you can play Smithrow, a 20-year-old, a 19-year-old Academy kids against the hated enemy who know what the Derby means, what would it mm-hmm. mean to them? You know, what would it mean to them to get that chance? Again, it can get in the way of them expressing themselves and playing in, within themselves, or it can it can really spur them on to bigger things. I, I, I am sort of leaning into my own confirmation bias now that he wants a right footer on the left. So I, I don't think Pepe will start over there. I think if he takes out Saka for any particular reason, feels he just needs the day off, then I think Pepe will start on the right. But I think it'd be Smith, Rowe, or Willian again on the left, I'm sorry to say. Unless no, he does something weird right. and goes, Lacazette up front and Aubameyang back into that left that left space. Um we haven't seen it much, thankfully, but I wouldn't rule it out, you know? Nope, neither would I. You need your fighters for this game, and Lacazette does quite well against Spurs, so I wouldn't rule it out at all. I think, you know, we saw against Leicester the benefit of the rotation and how much fresher we looked in that game, you know? So um, it can happen again. We won't like it, but you got to take it, right? Mm. So far, so good. Look, the key to this is how we overcome the Kane penalty from a Spurs dive. As long as we can overcome that, I think we'll be fine. Do you have any any inkling of how this one might go? I mean, it is obviously a shame not to have fans. I mean, obviously we got to play the away uh, fixture without fans, so it's only fair, but who cares about fair? Um, I, I don't have any feel for this one. I think Spurs are not as good as their recent resurgence, but what they have in abundance is quality in the final third, and they don't have to play well to beat you. We saw that in the first game. Kane can score from nothing. Son can do it. Bale can do it. Um it, it's just one of those things where this is a game that I think we will have periods of dominance. And unlike Burnley, unlike Olympiacos, unlike Wolves, unlike Villa, we cannot afford to be profligate. We have to we have to turn those little openings into goals um, because I, I can't see us keeping a clean sheet with the talent they have. 
Yeah, it's interesting if they play um, Sissoko in the base midfield and Ndombele at the 10, or will they try to get Ndombele and Lucas Moura on the pitch and really go quite attacking? That will tell you what Jose is really feeling. Um, he's going he's gonna to want to control the story, right? He's going to wait for us. Um, uh, the way I would do it, just play a dead game. I think I do think we're going to win this game. I'll tell you what, Clive, in the big games, it seems like what Arteta does to really prevent us from conceding, it's the big games where I feel like we do those wide overloads. You know what I mean? He doesn't want to do as much down the center of the pitch because that's where if you lose it, you can get really hurt. And so we do a lot more wide overloads. I think that's another reason why I could see it being... Aubameyang and Lacazette, you know, emphasize more the, the overloads on the left, the overloads on the right with if it's whether it's Bellerin or Cedric with Saka. But I, I think the wide positions will be much more of how we attack to try to keep ourselves a little uh, more secure when, if we lose the ball, a little safer. Yeah, we seem to be developing this, you know, this wide diamond, wide triangle type yeah. roles on both sides. And um, lots of teams do it. Again, data's driving coaching trends. Everyone's doing the same thing. Everyone's playing out from the back. Everyone's doing it to try to attract people on to get superiorities higher up the pitch. Um, everyone's getting triangles in wide areas or diamonds in wide areas because you lose it essentially two passes later and back of your net, as we saw last night. So everyone's doing the same thing. What, what it does come down to is individual player quality and consistency. Right? So coaching, structure, positional coaches, very similar. Very similar. Different philosophies, obviously. But very similar, great superiorities, overloads. Make sure you're in charge of your space, your zone. And when you get there, make sure you do something with it. If you're not in charge, get people over there to create the same numbers. Get back to some sort of equality on the pitch. If you have a player that can actually make with his two-on-ones, not his one-on-ones, his two-on-ones, you leave somebody with two people. A lot of time past, he plays against two, and we need that. A player that plays against two so someone else can play against one who can really sort one out. Vieira used to do it. Always played against two. Did it on his own. He was two players in one and managed it. And so you need those players that can do that job, do two man's jobs to create the one-on-ones for somebody else who can really do damage. And Spurs have got a couple of those and so have we. We just need to get them on the pitch and um, make sure they're in form. Yeah. Um, you, you know, one super quick thing before we get out of here. I think... An, an interesting aspect of what we're doing is the way we're pressing now. And that's a new development. And I think it's been a really yeah. welcome development. And I've noticed that we do it differently when we face a back three versus a back four, obviously. But when we face a back four, off the ball, when we press, we're in this sort of um, tilted or asymmetric 4-3-3. Right? So what happens is Aubameyang shifts out to the left. Odegaard steps up into the central space and Saka stays out on the right yeah. to go man for man. And then what happens is Willian or whoever's playing left wide forward drops into like a left a left-sided midfielder role and presses the fullback yeah. and then you have yeah. the two two center midfielders and I do wonder also if that's why he's picking Willian for his understanding of where to be off the ball in that pressure in that initial phase of pressure because that becomes a midfield role it's another reason I could see Smith Rowe taking it because I don't know if Pepe's as comfortable tactically doing that maybe Saka could do it if Pepe plays on the right but I think it'll be yeah. interesting because I hope we press. I think to your point, you know, I, I don't think Spurs are technically that fantastic back to front. And I, I certainly think that, you know, if the ball is at Sanchez's feet or if it's at Alderilder's, you know, the guy, that guy at his feet, I, I think there are chances for us to 
turn them over and win the ball and create transition opportunities. How how nervous are you about that though? Because by the same token, you know they could just play long over the press. You know, and their whole game is first ball, right? Win, win the first ball, yeah, and so, and 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 let Kane score off or Son score off a knockdown. I I would if you, to dictate the story, I would definitely make it a pressing game for us. I, I would do that, um, and they're going to try to go long, but defenders want long straight balls. That's what they want. They want those holding um, or Louise they're, or Gabriel, no problem. Kane is obviously very good at creating free kick opportunities. I don't think we can sit in a low block because they're bigger than us. You know, we came with Bale potentially starting the game and Son. They're all decent attacking the ball in the air. So I don't think we should low block and try and counter them. I think we should press them in a, in a shape and, and the shape you described perfectly. I think we should press them back and, and unsettle them, unsettle them, but make sure we've got a ring to make sure we understand what we do when they're breaking. If that means we've got to take some fouls, we've got to take some fouls, that means we've got to rotate that and we, we need to do it. It's very important that we are aware, positioning where they are, so they don't get into their running. If you're getting people into their running, you take them out, they see yellow card. If you get them early in the duel, it's just a, just, sorry, ref, and you hand up and you jog back in. So positioning, we need to be smart. We can't be children here. We have to be really smart. And if we do that, I think we're, I think we're, I think we're better on the ball than they are. I agree. With we that. may not be as efficient, efficient in the last third, in, in the box, shall we say? But we're better on the ball. We're better in more places on the pitch. But they have got the bang bang shooters up top, right? That don't seem to need many chances to score. Whether we need a few more, but let's see how we go, right? We scored two goals last night. We didn't see coming, and I think I think it's going to lift us. You know, last night lifted me. It really did. Uh, the Gabriel goal was absolutely special. That is a special goal in any Arsenal period in, in your Arsenal watching life. A goal out of nowhere, a goal where somebody physically just absolutely did something that made your jaw drop and put the ball exactly where they, they didn't we want it to We scored three be. of those, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, we did, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you look at the Odegaard goal, you watch Aubameyang's face, he doesn't know he's going to shoot. He's thinking, well, what are you doing? <laughs> and his son is in the back of the net. And, you know, you look at the technique. We spoke offline today, didn't we? The technique, the locking of the ankle, the contact. It's, it is perfect. And you watch the ball, it's not even spinning. You're thinking, oh, my goodness, that is perfection. And it really was, you know. And um, El Nenny was, wasn't perfection, but it was nice. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so we scored three amazing goals. And it's in the team. I think it might give us a level of confidence. You know, and I think the team, I'm not saying we lack confidence, but I think we lack that elite confidence. You know what we lack? We, be, I, I, we I belong here. We may have had the sense that just everything was against us. You know, sometimes you feel mm. like no matter what we do, we play well, it still doesn't go away. You look at the Burnley game and we're dominating them and to not get three points from that, you just got to feel like, what do we have to do? We have two penalties given, neither of them stand up. You know, we give them a goal. We don't score from you know, sitter positions. And then here we go again. We're dominating. We're dominating Olympiacos. We don't get the goals we should. And we gift them another one. And to have it go where we get two Galazos to win the game and probably win the tie, maybe feels like that hoodoo is lifted. You know what I mean? That, 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 that things are going to start to turn our way. And sometimes I do think when you feel, you know, what happens in life, you can feel like the world is out to get you and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And maybe we will have a little less of that sensation going into this game. I think we can leave it there. We're going to have an instant reaction, obviously, right at full time on Sunday, which 
It's going to be a wild ride emotionally one way or the other, and then we'll have a full pot on Monday. Everyone will be involved, and I hope you will too. And wherever you are around the world watching it, my goodness, I hope it is a great day, a day for us to all lift a glass or seven uh, to the arsenal, and and a day that can really kickstart our league season because it is still all there. Remember, Clive did predict us to finish fourth this season, and uh, he knows easy. his football. Easy, easy, no problem. Clive's on Twitter, Clive BFC. Thanks, man. Thank you very much. My name is Alex Smith. Bought me on Twitter. Yankee Gunner gives five star review. Write nasty things about no one. We're done with the nasty things. We're now we're now a positive energy podcast, and that positive energy is going into the result this weekend, which, as you know, is what I'm about to say. We love you, and we will talk to you after Arsenal ten Spurs nil. No.